This is Histories of the Unexpected. He's the famous historical adventurer, Dr Sam Willis. And he is Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. He is Professor James Daybell. And we are your hosts for Histories of the Unexpected. Each week we discuss a surprising subject oozing with unexpected historical significance. And this week it's Holes, which is all about the history of sex, but not in the way that you might think. It's also about the history of religion. Think priest holes. Ah, well, for me, it's all about the geography of the underworld. Nice. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, and tell all your friends. We're on Twitter. You can follow me at Dr. Sam Willis. And you can follow me at James Daybell. We are proud to be part of the excellent History Hit Network, home of Dan Snow's History Hit and other great shows coming soon. And you can find out more about what we've got planned in the forthcoming months, show notes, video clips, photos of everything we discuss, and much, much more at historyhit.com forward slash unexpected. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 21 of Histories of the Unexpected. We've come of age again. 21? What does that mean we can do? Vote, um, drink. No, we can do all that before then. What yeah, happens when you're 21? I have no idea. You have a party. This is another example of why we need to do the history of coming of age. We yes. don't know. Yes. Numbers, again. It must have come from somewhere. What is the significance 21 of 21 is when you come into property oh. in, in English tradition. I haven't come into property you're yet. You come so. into property and you're allowed to be an heir in your own right. Oh. Yes. Well, coming of age is, is, we're going to do that next. In Histories of the Unexpected, we'll be audio Googling through history, exploring the history of things that you didn't even know had a significant story to tell, like applause, the paperclip, and a real favourite of mine, cheating. Cheating. Are you a cheat? Um, I have been known to cheat. I've been known to succeed at all... Um, whatever the word is. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'll, yes, my daughter's got it as well. She will. Um, you have to win at all costs. All costs. It's all costs. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. Competition. Yes. Competitiveness. We should do something on competitiveness. Okay, and we will be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how simply everything has a history, and crucially, how those histories link in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, Sam, that the history of the scar is all about masculine codes of honorific violence. <laughs> wow, that's a sense. It's all about showing off your battle wounds. Ah, your being battle, proud of your battle, scars. Being proud of your scars. Or that the history of the fart, the history of the fart, is in fact all about political self-expression. Not to be mistaken with the history of the burp, which is all about protocols of politeness. <laughs> I love you, that. you would burp to your hostess to, to announce that you had enjoyed her food. Uh, the history of the scar is actually also to do with the history of sculpture. Sculpturing and sculpture. Yeah, that's good. Just me. And the man sitting opposite me is the devil of diaries. It's <laughs> Professor James Daybell. The devil of diaries. And the man sitting opposite me is a heavyweight of historicism. It is Dr. Sam Willis. Together we will be piloting you on this uncharted, frankly highly dangerous flight into the past. Each week one of us takes the lead, and this week it's James's turn. Okay, well, this week, Sam, I have an absolute humdinger yeah. for you. Uh, it is the history of holes. Holes? Oh my god. Um, where Where do you go with the history of holes? Where do you go with the history of holes? Um, holes in things, so I'm thinking what immediately strikes me, shipworm strikes me, mm. so those kind of horrible worms that ate holes in the bottom of ships, so British sea power massively increases improves in the 1780s because they solved the problem of worms eating holes 
in their ship's timbers by putting copper on the bottom of the ships. And that's actually all to do with uh, being able to make copper and source copper nails, which the British could do, which the French could do. So it's all to do with the history of making nails. <laughs> that's where I go with holes. But um, more broadly, I've always been interested in holes in the earth. And I'm going to talk ah, about that a little bit later. Holes in the earth. Goodness me. Well, I'm going to talk to you about holes in terms of... Holes are all about... The history of sex. Right. But not, but not in the way that you think. Okay. How do you know the way okay. I was thinking? I can imagine the way in which most people think about, about, about that, that particular topic. Where are you going But it is it? about spy holes. Spy holes! And we're going back to 16th and 17th century England, which yeah. is my homeland historically. And we are going to look at church court, consistory court um, depositions... Um, and basically, what you've got is lots of descriptions of people engaged in clandestine sexual activity yeah. being observed upon oh, by people reason. looking through peepholes. This was a time when... Well, you know, are, those, are those accidental peepholes, or are they kind of like deliberately built peepholes? I imagine, you know, they, they, they holes if you, think, if you think about wooden wooden walls, you screens, know, and, the, yeah. and screens and, you know, they'd be very thin and, and it could be a bit of both, you know, the, okay. the sort of the knot of the wood might fall out and you, yeah. you know, and you look through. But you've got people living, you know, in very close conditions, very thin walls between them and neighbours being able to, you know, to spy quite, quite, you know, graphically. But we're looking at a, at a period where, you know... The, the rules about sex and sexuality were much more restrictive than are today. Infidelity was something that could be that could be absolutely punished. I mean, have a look at this. What I wonder if there are any rules against spying. What do you think this is? Um, this here. Bryant Head for Adultery oh, yes. with Alice Sampford Widow, and then it is dated at the bottom. This is, in fact, a, a paper placard mm -hmm. that has survived that an adulteress mm -hmm. would have worn around her neck... No. Yep. ...outside church on a Sunday morning. Oh, man. Oh, yes. <laughs> and she would have a penance that she, where she would have to confess her sins in public. So it is, it is a public ritual of shaming for adultery. And so what you have is you've got a situation where the church is basically responsible for clamping down upon clandestine sexual activity, which effectively meant anyone having sex outside of marriage. Yeah. And so what you've got is a lot of these cases come into the courts. It's how we know so much about sex from the early modern period. It's very difficult to reconstruct the conjugal bed. So are these, are these kind of descriptions of people having sex, or are they kind of legal witness documents? I saw this happening, therefore so she is not... That, that's exactly it. So it's a deposition. So it's somebody in, in court being cross-examined... And this is their this is their story. So we have here one a wonderful example of spying through a wall on Mary Babb, um, who was engaged in having uh, not only an adulterous but also an incestuous sexual relationship uh, with her brother-in-law, um, and she was spied on by her neighbour, one Elizabeth Tullett, um, who was aged twenty-six, and she deposed that. She, this examiner, living next house to the said Ottywell Bab, um, 
so the husband of Mary Bab, having only a wall betwixt them, hath several times seen and observed very uncivil passages betwixt them in the said Ottiwell's house, and especially about the month of May last past, this examinant, looking through the wall at an hole, did see her, the said Mary Bab, pass by the said hole, having her clothes and smock pulled up to her breast, none being in the house with her, but the articulate Richard Babb, <laughs> and also upon a Tuesday in the beginning of July last past, this examinant did see the said Mary Babb and Richard Babb alone together in the said Ottiwell Babb's house, she the said Mary being making of ash balls, and there they two did frequently kiss each other with as much eagerness and familiarity as man and wife could do, and he put his hand under her clothes in an uncivil manner, which she allowed without resistance. And the day after being Wednesday, this examinant did see and observe the said Richard Babb go into the said Ottiwell Babb's house several times and pull the door after him, and this examinant looking in at the said hole, so she's spying in again on them, through the hole did see him take her on his knee and there kiss each other very freely and too familiarly, and he put his hand under her clothes in very uncivil manner several times. And at the last she, this examinant, did see them, the said Mary Babb and Richard Babb, in the act of adultery or incest, Ooh. in a very beastly manner. <laughs> um, she, the said Mary, holding up her hinder parts and having her clothes and smock pulled up above her loins, and he thrusting at her behind nine times together where this examiner did see. And what's interesting is then then another couple of neighbours come in and are looking through the hole as well, and, you know, in moral indignation yeah. at this. But it's exactly... So, so, so the history of holes is all about spying on people having sex. Nice. I so it, it is a way, it, you know, and, and sexual... The history of sex is a very... The reconstruction of sexual activity is incredibly difficult to do mm. in a pre-modern period. Yeah. So this is the kind of way in which you in which you'd be able to spy. That's amazing. What I, have you got? I, I love holes? That. Right. Well, I started. Um, I can't remember. I came across this. I was do, doing something, and it, I ended up having to do some work on the history of diamond mines, which are wonderful because you know the, the, the early South African diamond mines—they just found eighty-three carat diamonds lying around, and then dug down to find these amazing diamond deposits. But that got me interested in this idea of digging down and actually going into the earth. And I came across this. Have a look at that. That's a map. It is a map. Uh, it's a map. 1823. 1823. Andrea Di so um, he's a very famous man, so i completely different. But he drew this. Uh, Avernus, does that ring a bell? That's a big crater of a volcano. Right. Okay, um, and it's, uh, it's in Italy. Oceanum. Um, yeah, um, it's in Italy. Uh, it's, it's kind of like mid-shin. Of Italy, right, right. of the boot. Um, this is a map of the underworld. Ah. So it's an actual imagining and a drawing of the underworld as described in Virgil's Aeneid. Ah. Um, and it's not the only map of the underworld that has been created. You see, the, the, the interesting thing about it is that the entrance, the underworld's an actual place which they describe very, very vividly. Uh, and the Romans do this, and they, they kind of explore the underworld. And it has an entrance, and the entrance is through the crater of this volcano near Naples. Hmm. And what I loved about that is, is, is once you 
Oh, it, it, it's basically because it's been drawn. It, um, it it talks so much about the fact that it was described in so much detail. Not only was it described in so much detail, as we now think that the uh, Virgil was using landscape with which he was familiar to describe the underworld. Hmm. And so um, this is mimicked and copied elsewhere in, in Roman, Roman epic poetry. And it's helping us understand the landscape that the Romans lived in at the time. So, hmm. yeah, that's, that's, that's where I'm going with it. So your hole is a hole to the, to the underworld. It's a hole to the underworld. And it's, um, it's, it's a place that exists in the imagination. But there's a really interesting crossover between, between the two, between this kind of physical geography of the underworld and the imagination of the underworld. And maps of it exist. So, Sam, are there other examples of this kind of map making that show this hole into the underworld? Well, um, it, it's not specifically to do with the underworld, but there's a, there is another wonderful example from 1678. Right. Uh, which is the map of... Um, it's all to do with uh, the Pilgrim's Progress. Ah, Bunyan's Bunyan. Progress. Yeah. And, what a know, beautiful map. It's a beautiful map. It's a, it, this is another example of, um, of this journey. So, in the Pilgrim's Progress, he's, it's a Christian allegory, isn't it? And he's travelling to the, the celestial city from the city of destruction. And what the wonderful thing about this is that um, researchers have now gone through the Pilgrim's Progress and everywhere he describes, they've actually managed to link it to an actual, actual physical, physical location. Most brilliantly of all is this. This is Millbrook Gorge near Bedfordshire, which is no less than the Valley of the Shadow of Death. Which <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the residents are delighted with that. And it's, it's, um, I've got a photograph of it here, and it's a very beautiful Bedfordshire lane. Um, but there are other examples here. Um, we know that the House of the Interpreter, um, it's an important, um, an important scene in the Pilgrim's Progress. It's a rectory of St John's Church on the south side of Bedford. Um, of course, out. of course it is. <laughs> um, he refers to the very deep river as a very sort of threatening thing, which is all part of his journey. When you realise now that that's the Thames, um, the celestial city itself is London. Um, the plain across which uh, all the Christians flee is, is Bedford Plain, which is 15 miles wide, has Bedford in the middle of it, with the river ooze meandering through it. And the delectable mountains, it all sounds like something from The Hobbit. Yes, but we know that the delectable mountains, which are a very important part of the Pilgrim's Progress, are actually the Chiltern Hills. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that, that, that idea of kind of mapping these places in history, that, that being based on real geography and real places, and it allows you to reconstruct the landscapes of the time that the people were writing them. So that's where I've gone with holes. I've gone kind of a bit like, a bit like Alice in Wonderland. I've gone down a hole. Well, we, should, we should do rabbits. We should definitely do rabbits. What else have you got in holes? I'm going to take us in another direction, down another hole. Okay. Um, what do you make of this here? That's what have we a, got there? That's, um, that's a book which has been destroyed by something. So we are looking here at bookworms. Oh. Um, you know, literally, the, the disintegration, the eating away of books. I'll give you another example here, uh, which is wonderful, which is a... Which, which is a well, you, you describe what we see there. So there's a bookworm has eaten through a bit of a book and then someone's done a little doodle around it, um, making the hole in the book into an eye. So yeah. he's drawn another eye yeah. and a nose and a frowny, sad mouth because he's had his... I taken out by a bookworm, I suppose. And these these examples come from the wonderful blog site of a 
terrific medieval book historian at Leiden University called Eric Quackle, mm-hmm. who I haven't met him, but I, I would love to meet him. But the guy seems to have basically spent the last, you know, few decades just touring medieval libraries, taking digital images of all manner of of drawings and interesting material forms. And these the, these book holes uh, that he's looking at, bored in by, by bookworms, are fantastic. Absolutely really sort of rich. I would definitely recommend any of our listeners uh, checking out Eric Quackle. That's K-W-A-K-K-E-L. Check out his his blog site. Here's another example. Uh, what do you think that is? Uh, I have no idea. It's, it's another it's a picture of a... Uh, <laughs> it's, it's like a, a, it's a hole that's been darned in a book. Yeah. So what we have here is a medieval page... We have a medieval book, and it is an attempt at medieval book repair. <laughs> so having, I mean, this, this is obviously not, a, not something that's been caused by a bookworm, because the problem there is that it, it will, eventually the book will just disintegrate. Um, but what we have here is something that, uh, through wear and tear, has been worn away. Books were incredibly, exp- I mean, we're, look, we're, we're talking about, um, we're not talking about printed books here. This is a period pre, pre-Caxton. So we're talking about expensively produced uh, manuscript books, handwritten books. And what we see here is, we've got, is, is embroidery used around the whole purple and what looked like a sort of reddish, reddish pinky colour. It's, yeah, it's used colour to, to, to block up. The hole. But what, what's interesting about that particularly is that they've um, it's it's not it's not a, a hole that's designed to be hidden. They've made a little kind of an artistic thing yeah. out of it by yeah. using using coloured thread. Yeah, yeah. There's another one. So that's they, that's you red. Can see and here, thread. this is this is literally sort of stitching stitching it together. So what we have is a is a medieval practice of sort of I suppose darning a hole. You know, mm. rather like you darn a pair of socks in order to keep them going. I mean, this brings us back to. What we were talking about uh, in a couple of podcasts ago about rubbish and the idea of recycling and repair. Yeah, you know, you you don't throw away these items; they're not rubbish. They are there to be kept. Yeah, and, they, and those 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 uh, mendings are, are they're, they're in themselves robust. They become part of the object itself, don't they? Yeah, mm, I love that. So, um, my other thing I want to talk to you about is. Uh, these. What's ah, that? That looks like a an oil well. It's an oil gusher. An oil gusher. Yeah. I've always been fascinated by by this drilling, uh, drilling for oil, actually going down to the earth, and how people kind of knew what was going on down there. Um, the, the first gusher happened when people were actually drilling for salt. They had no idea what was actually going to come up. And there are some wonderful descriptions of these gushes. So you're drilling down, um, whether you're trying to find oil or not, and suddenly the whole world explodes in your face. There's a wonderful description of, of one of these early gushes. So the first one happened in 1815. Imagine the shock of... Was this in America? Um, yes, it was in America, yeah. 1815. With a roar like a hundred express trains racing across the countryside, the well blew out, spewing oil in all directions. The derrick simply evaporated. Casings wilted like lettuce out of water as heavy machinery writhed and twisted into grotesque shapes in the blazing inferno. So that's an early 20th century description of a gusher. Um, It's the pioneering aspect of it, which I think is really, really important. The sheer danger of actually drilling for oil and being able to cope with it. And it wasn't till um, the 1930s or 40s that they actually designed a cap which could stop 
the um, oil blowing out like this. So, that, so it was always going to be massively dangerous. So the entire success of drilling for oil was linked, was linked to danger in, in a very explicit way. And it's the, this kind of pioneering, adventuring side of it, which has always impressed me. And I think the people who were, were pioneering in their oil drilling were, were as courageous and as inventive as well as the people who were, you know, pioneering flight mm. and sort of mm. early submarines. It was all, all you know, all very much of a similar period. So boreholes are about exploration. It's about, you know, looking for... For yep. oil, but also for other other minerals. Yes, and it's the for me it's also the uncertainty. So you're drilling down, you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and the the other exploration side of it, which has uh, always fascinated me, is the um, you have this oil drilling, but it's deep sea oil drilling, and when that actually started, that was um, early 20th century as well. But they began to actually drill off the coast as early as 1896. What they did is they built piers out into the sea, and then they used exactly the same techniques for drilling on land, but they just applied it to sea. Now, the problem with this, of course, is when you've got to deal with the oil when it comes up in the sea, um, which, of course, raises the very important question of sea pollution with oil. Um, and when we have the, uh, the, the Deepwater Horizon BP, you know, that's the, mm. the, the one that sort of strikes us in our modern world most, most recently, in 2010, but the most uh, large-scale one before that was in 1969 in Santa Barbara in California, and that caused an 800-square-mile slick of oil. Um, so there's the history of pollution here, there's um, this history of uncertainty, and also the history of exploring and adventure. Goodness me. And we could talk about potholes, we could talk about manholes, we could talk Ooh, about yeah. exploration under the world. We've done... The underworld, the hole down to the underworld. We've how could we forget? We've done holes and sex. We've done hot. We've done bookworms and holes. Where else could we go with holes? Um, well, uh, all the black hole of Calcutta. We haven't, even, of... we haven't even talked about the black hole of Calcutta. We could go on for forever. Don't forget that you are the most important member of this podcast, listeners. Um, thank you very much for listening. Get in touch with your stories of holes in history and how they link with other ideas. And tell us about the Black Hole of Calcutta, because we didn't get to cover it. No, sorry. Sorry about that. (laughs) We'll do it next time. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks for listening. Bye. Goodbye.